the pastors here at Mission Church, and um, I am still filling in in Pastor Runyon's absence. He is on family leave. He's now taking his um, bereavement uh, service for his wife, Norma, who passed away, uh, was yesterday. And if you missed it, um, our church was well represented. Um, it was a beautiful time of memory and worship of the Lord and laughter and tears. And if you were there, thank you so much for being there. And if you weren't there, please don't feel bad. It was just a great time to be the body of Christ and, um, you know, to for us to minister in whatever way we could to the to Norma's family, to pastor. And he told me after the service that um, the service as a whole and everybody there and the conversations that he had were a great encouragement to him. In the middle of all that he's going through, that word encouragement is a really big deal. And so um, just really thankful to continue to be a part of this church body and um, how we're loving on the Runyons. And um, you should be, I mean, honestly, you should be proud of our church. Proud of how we are caring for somebody who has cared for us to a couple and to, to a family who's cared for us and how we're caring for them during the season has been really, really great. And so thank you. Um, and thank our leaders. Um, so, so yeah, so we've been in a series um, about the kingdom. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to be about the kingdom one more time. Don't forget, next week is our 100-year celebration. So come back next week. It's going to be great. Um, be a part of stuff where you can. It's going to be a great time together. I have been in this church a little over three years. That's a lot less than 100 I'm not a smart man, but I've played a very small role in this thing. Uh, but I will, we will all be here together celebrating no matter how long we've been here, right? So it's good. The Lord's still using this community. It's good. Um, so as I thought about today, I, I was thinking about last week. And if you weren't here last week, I think it's podcasted on our website because I'm going to refer to it. And if it doesn't make sense, I'm sorry. I just don't have time to get all the way into it. But. Last week, we talked about Jesus, um, you know, telling the truth about what happens when we build our life um, on the sand, on a foundation that's not firm. And when we build our life on him and on his words, that is a firm, firm foundation. And if you remember, we talked about together what it feels like uh, to dig down to the foundation of Jesus. And sometimes it's hard and we don't always get the easy button. Just like digging in sand is, if you're trying to dig down through sand to get to a foundation to build your house on, it, it, it's hard digging in sand. It's like that whole thing. You guys remember this? Right? You, you, you get one shovel out and like half the shovel falls back in. And it's really frustrating. And, and there are moments and there are seasons where that's what it feels like when we follow Jesus. It, it feels like... Man, come on, Jesus, we're just leaning in and we're being obedient and we're following and we're confessing and we're serving. And and are we getting anywhere? And come on, Jesus, we, we really need and we just and we can't even do the sounds right. And it's just. And I want to I want to talk about that a little bit. What what is kind of what what is it that keeps us maybe. What are two questions that we maybe live by that keep us from continuing to dig even in the midst of 
a process with Jesus that's not always easy, that, that asks a lot of us, that requires a great amount of effort, it requires all that we are, and yet it's free. It's, this, it's that beauty of grace is opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort, right? Where man, following Jesus, takes all that we are, and yet he gives us all that he is first freely. And so it's, this, it's that beautiful tension, right? But what, what keeps us from continuing to dig, and maybe what... What, what keeps us from building on the foundation that's sand? And, and two questions that I want to suggest to you that are a sandy foundation are this. We're going to talk about twos today. And the two questions are this. And, and, and they're just like laced within our, our, our culture, who we are as good Americans. We're kind of taught this. We're taught this through our just uh, media, uh, how we get sold stuff. What is that called? When we see something and they're trying to sell us something, a commercial, yes, Woo! somebody's got to start praying for me because it's going to be a long morning. I've already preached this once and I'm already having trouble the second time just through just the consumerism of life and all of this. Two questions we get taught kind of intrinsically and we don't even realize that we ask them all the time. First question is this. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? We have, a, we have a very individualized culture. It's who we are, and there's some great things that come with that. And yet, we are constantly trying to figure out, somebody comes to the door, they sell us something, what do we ask? Oh, what's in it for me? I mean, it's just, somebody invites us to the movies. Our first question intrinsically is not, oh, would this help this person kind of hang out? Does it, it's, it's, well, why would I want to watch that movie? What's in it for me? Right. I mean, it's just so intrinsic to who we are. I don't care if you're 75 or 10 this morning. This is us. This is me. And the second question is this. How does it make me feel? So we ask just quickly and easily, oh, what's in it for me? And the second is, how does this make me feel? And we ask it all the time. We ask it all the time. And the same group of friends ask you out to a movie and you're like, well, how do those friends make me feel? I don't know if I want to go. How have they been making me feel lately? I mean, it's so just in us. And when it comes down to it, a life that is truly life cannot be built on those two questions. Now, those questions are evil in and of itself. But when we build our foundation of our lives, like the very core who we are based on, hey, what's in it for me? And that's whether I'm going to hang out with you or whether I'm going to come to church or whether I'm going to be your friend or whether I'm going to stay in that job or whether I'm going to serve my wife or whether I'm going to see it's so it's so sneaky. See, I do something kind for my wife and I don't think, sweet, this is awesome. This is who I want to be. I think. Well, is she going to do something nice back? What's in it for me? Oh, see, now I'm meddling. What's in it for me? How does it make me feel? See, we keep our relationships based on, well, how are you making me feel? There's songs on the radio, not just songs of the young people. (laughs) Young people, can I get an amen? That just means that's true. So just say that's true. It's y'all songs, too, that talk about love in such a way that is not who the other is, but how the other makes me feel. Oh, you just make me feel so good. That has nothing to do with who they are. That just has everything to do with one of the two questions that we're taught to ask in everything. 
And as long as you're making me feel good, then I'll stick around because that's what's in it for me. But the moment you don't make me feel good any longer, I'm out. And we like to say that that's just the people out there. And yet, what I find is it in me. And we build our lives on what's in it for me and how does it make me feel. And when the storm comes of life, we fall. Because we don't feel good anymore. We don't know what to do. We're not getting what we hoped we were going to get. And we don't know what to do with that either. How does that make me feel? What's in it for me? It's so innate in us. But there are two counter narratives that I want to suggest to you that Jesus provides that would work us out of those two questions and work us back over to digging. That would keep us here Two ulterior narrative stories that would that would keep us here and so that we not we wouldn't wander back over there, because if we're honest, that's the gravitational pull for us. How, what's, it, what, how, what's in it for me? How does it make me feel? It's just gravity for us. And so Jesus, if you followed him for very long, he's going to start meddling with those two questions. Have you noticed? <laughs> he, he, oh, yeah, he meddles. He's going to start messing with that, man, because those, he knows those two questions harm us. They're not a firm foundation for our lives. And so he, he starts working those two questions out of us. And I want to suggest to you two things that he uses to work those two questions out of us. And they're really simple. And you might check out because I'm going to tell you ahead of time. And it's the cross and it's the resurrection. And this is we understand it. We, we stay over here and the gravitation doesn't pull us as strongly over time. And we start asking different questions. And we start living in different ways. It's the cross and the resurrection. How I want to get at that is... Is a passage. <laughs> That's really great. We're looking at scripture today. That's a good thing, right? Can I get it? Can I get a yeah, it is? Okay. Some of you aren't sure, but we're doing it anyways. Matthew 27, starting in verse 55. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 55. I think it's going to be on the screen, maybe. Not sure. Um, but here we go. If it's, it, it's not right now, so take out your phone and you can use this excuse to check the NFL scores. Um, don't tell me how my Cardinals are doing if they're playing. I don't think they're playing yet, but do not, please do not tell me. I'm, this is really important today. Let's let those things go for a moment, for some moments. But Matthew 27, starting in verse 55 says this. Many women were there. Everybody say women. You've heard of ladies night. This is ladies morning. We're talking about ladies today. And men, you, you, you men with me, we got a lot to learn from the women in this passage. Ladies, can I get an amen? I mean, this is many women were there. This is Jesus at the cross. If you don't know where we're at in the story, this is Jesus on the cross. And many women were there. See, we don't we don't get much about the women in Jesus's life. We get a little bit, but not much in the Gospels until his passion comes until he he the, the the climax of his teaching in his life happens. Then suddenly we get this this information about the women and women. Did you know that there were disciples who were women who followed Jesus? That's like a thing. You guys, you're really quiet right now. It's interesting to me. 
We hear a lot about these 12 men, these 12 disciples, and what we learn about them is they're screwed up. <laughs> what we learn about men, ladies, you're going to really like this. What we learn about these men is that they are messed up to the core. They're constantly asking questions like, what's in it for me? They're constantly arguing about who's the greatest, who's most important, who does Jesus love most, Who's got the more power and authority? What's in it for me? How does it make me feel? We're at the cross and there's only one out of 12 disciples at the cross. I'm not a math major, but that's not a good percentage. One out of 12. But here are these women. The women are there and they were they're disciples of Jesus. They're there at the cross and they've been there. What we what we see here is this. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. See, they had been there, man. They had not quit. They didn't press the easy button. They kept showing up even when they didn't get it, even when it was hard. And make no mistake, there is no time harder than Jesus now on the cross. That's why the men are gone. That's why I would have been gone. Because my questions of, well, what's in it for me? I might lose my life over this stuff. I'm out. Well, how did this make me feel? This make me feel like this whole thing is a failure. I'm out. But the women, the women just want to be close to Jesus. The women are there like they've been there all along. Some hundred miles in, in ministry, walking from Galilee to Jerusalem. Seeing what Jesus does. Listening. Learning, growing, being accepted, being welcomed, being valued by Jesus. And they're there now to be close to Jesus. Where else are we going to go? I don't know, but I just want to be near him, right? That's where they're at. And so, 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 so here they are and, and they're watching, watching from a distance. Is We're watching from a distance today. But watching from a distance. And, and what are they watching? See, they're watching. They're watching Rome wind up this perfected mechanism of torture and brutality and evil and unleash it and set it loose on Jesus. On the very one who they've, they've loved and adored and given their lives for. They watch Rome. See, Rome had perfected this thing, man. I mean, Rome, Rome could beat down somebody like no other. Rome, when they conquered an area, a country, they would take that leader and they would make them an example so that no one else would rise up against them again. And that's exactly what we see them do with Jesus. See, they wind up that mechanism of torture and hate and destruction and let it loose on Jesus because he was the king of the Jews. And this garrison, this, this small army in this area who'd been dealing with these pesky Jews, Jews for years now had somebody they could take it out on. They had a leader. They had this, this proclaimed leader and they're like, oh man, we're going to get him. And so they put this purple robe on him and say, and they bow down to him and they say, oh king, oh king, aren't you a great king now? And they punch his face and they rip his beard and they spit on him and they humiliate him and they unleash it upon him. The evil of the world. And they whip him again and again and again. And they hang him up on a cross. And then the Jews get involved. The religious folk get involved. And now they're walking by Jesus. 
And they're making fun of him and they're spitting on him. And they're saying things like, oh, great king of the Jews, you said you'd tear the temple down and restore it in three days. You can't even get yourself off that thing. Oh, look at you now, Jesus. You had so much power and authority. You said you could save others. Save yourself. Oh, great king. And the women are watching and hurting. And on all accounts, on all account, every account, this has been an utter failure from human perspective. See, we know the end of the story, and so we cheat. We think, oh, yeah, yeah, what's the big deal? But on every human account, from every perspective, this is worst case scenario. Our leader, our Messiah is being murdered in the most horrific way, most humiliating way possible. This is the end. This is utter failure. Have you ever felt like as you followed Jesus, have you ever felt like it wasn't working? And the women are there, probably got a lot of questions of their own, but they're still there, they stay. Stay in the middle of, whoa, this, this failed. This, another would-be Messiah rose up and another died, squashed by the mechanism of Rome. But this is so much more. The cross is so much more. See, what the cross is, some of you know this, and hopefully it's a good reminder today. The cross is the king being the king. The cross is the king being the king we've longed for all along and could never find. See, even as he's bleeding and being tortured and humiliating on the cross, he's doing crazy things like saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He's forgiving. And when others who have been tortured and bled on a cross, others before him who had shouted and cursed and insulted back when they were given insult and when they were cursed, He's quiet. He's quiet. And there's this love that's coming out of him. There's this love that that no one has else seen, ever seen before. So much so that a centurion who had seen thousands of people die saw the kind of way that Jesus died said, surely this must be the son of God. Because there was so much different about how Jesus died than anyone who has ever died in history. He was the king that we've been waiting for. A king not, that did not lead with like force and manipulation and vindiction, if that's even a, even a word, but... <laughs> He died with this sacrificial love thing. He died with not returning evil for evil, but returning good and love instead and mercy and forgiveness. See, the women watched. They watched him die. That's not the end of the story. That's not the end. See, Jesus, what's different about Jesus is the way he died. But that's not the end of the story. He did die different than anyone, than any king. But it's not the end. So we we keep reading and we skip to Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1, and it reads this. After the Sabbath. Now... If you were going to write this story, you, you, and you were a religious person, you would not have, have had Jesus do something incredible that no one else has ever done 
on a non-religious day. But I love that that's not what happens. I love that Jesus shows up on the first day of the week. Anybody like Mondays? I mean, it's a Sunday, for, but for us, it's a Monday, right? So I, I love that he shows up in the... It's, it's easy, isn't it, when we come here and we put a smile on? Man, we need Jesus in the every day. Don't we? Man, I need him on Mondays. I don't know about you. I need him on Tuesdays. Man, I can come in here and sing songs, but I, I need him more on Mondays. <laughs> right? And that's when he shows up on the first day of the week at dawn on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. The women are there again. Refusing to push the easy button. And in, in the Gospel of Mark, it tell, Mark tells us that they're there to, to, to provide incense and smelling stuff. That's the technical term. It's not. For Jesus' body, as, as it decomposes like other bodies do, but not Jesus's. So they show up, not with full faith that, okay, he's resurrected, but they're there. They keep showing up even when they don't have all the answers, even when they don't have all the understanding. They keep... I mean, they're still... Can you see it? I mean, they're still showing up. They're still there. So here they are again. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it, treated it like a little chair. I love that. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. He's conquered even death. He's risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. If you're a parent, you know exactly what afraid yet filled with joy means. The first time I held my firstborn in the hospital, I was terrified. And yet it was the most joyous moment of my life. (laughs) Afraid yet filled with joy. What? Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. All that. Yep. How am I going to put Yep, that's what they're feeling. Afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. And in that space, verse 9. Right in the middle of them showing up again and hearing another word from the Lord and following it again. Just like they had done for miles and weeks and years again. Even at the cross, they show up again. They don't have it figured out. They don't get it. But they're there. They just want to be around Jesus. And now they're here on the third day. First day of the week. I don't know if anything's crazy going to happen. It's a weekday. I mean, what good could happen on a weekday? And they're there again. And in the middle of that, suddenly, Jesus just can't wait for Galilee and shows up. Jesus met them. I love that Jesus doesn't wait for Galilee, even though that's what the angel said that he was going to do. I love that he just, he's like he couldn't help himself. It's like, no, oh man, I just got to, oh, I just, and I'm here and we're and, and you just wonder what Jesus is going to say. And this is so great. If you can get this, this is so great. He says, resurrected Jesus says this. Hi. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know what I learned about with my just phenomenal deep study about the word greetings? It was the most common Greek word for hello. Yeah, Jesus resurrected Jesus. He just conquered death, man. I mean, he's the angel sitting on the, the rock like it's a chair, like it's no big deal. It's just a little stool. He's just chilling. There. And Jesus can't wait. And he shows up. And with all of that power and all of that authority. Hey, what's up? I mean, I love this. Why do I love this? I love this because it's so common. It's so simple. I love that Jesus shows up in my common life. In my simple life. Some of you are waiting for some spectacular moment on some retreat. You know where Jesus wants to show up even more than there? In the common everyday stuff of your life. Hi. Suddenly, it's like it's like there's something that he does when we're in the middle of just confessing, in the middle of just the grind of trying to lean into Jesus and follow him. And and temptation gets hard and people are talking about your Jesus in ways and you're like, wait, what is this? Uh, I don't know. And. And coworkers are saying stuff about you and it gets hard at home and you don't know what's going on with your kids and you don't have a lot of answers and it's just and it's just hard. And then suddenly. Hi. See, I have like a thousand stories like this. I'm going to tell you just a really common one for me. My family, my, my grandfather was a pastor. My father is a churchman, um, still on church boards, bled for the church, all that. My grandfather didn't have a dad who was around, and so he didn't know how to be a father. And in the middle of that space, in his own perfectionism, there was an anger that he wielded at home, and there's a history in my family some of some amazingly great faithful things. And then there's this this bit in here of us men dealing in anger and manipulation. And, and my dad was better than his dad. And so here I am. Fast forward from Yeah, my my oldest is now 3. She's 3 years old. And she's being a three-year-old. She's throwing a fit again. Why? Because she's three. But in the middle, one day, in the middle of that, I get home and I'm tired and I'm stressed. And I start asking the questions that you and I ask. What's in it for me and how does this make me feel? And suddenly it has nothing to do with her. and has everything to do with how she's treating me. And what kind of kid I'm raising. And what this says about me. And how it's not fair that I just had a hard day and my three-year-old is throwing another fit. And I have to be a parent. Because I was asking, what's in it for me? 
and how it makes, how does this make me feel? And in that space, under those questions, that storm, my little house crumbled. And I was just as angry and manipulative as I could dish out to my poor little three-year-old. And I made fun of her. And I yelled at her. And it had nothing to do with her. It was me. And my foundation. And I got done. And I stepped back and suddenly Jesus said, Hi. And I was overwhelmed with grief. This is the last thing I wanted to do, Jesus. This is the last thing I wanted to be. What? What do I do now? And very simply a thought came into my head. And it was just the most basic of fundamentals with Jesus. Just the most basic digging. And he said, confess and say you're sorry. And I was like, I don't know. For, those, for you parents in here, how hard is it to apologize to your child? I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the enemy. I don't know, if, I don't know what it is. But in that moment, that was like the most difficult thing that he had ever asked of me. Somehow. Somehow it was so hard. I was like, Jesus, I want the easy button. I don't want that. I'll just do it different next time. Right? What we do? I'll just do it different next time. And he's like, no, man, hey. Hey, just, just dig a little. Confess. Say you're sorry. Jesus, she's not going to get it. She's three. She's not. Well, she understood what you just gave her. All right. All right. And I went to my little three-year-old. Baby, daddy's sorry. Baby, this is not about you. Daddy messed up. Daddy loves you. This is not your fault. Daddy wants you to know that you're worth it, that you matter. Not that you don't. I'm so sorry, baby. And I'm crying, and my little three-year-old, who doesn't get it, right, she's three, she pats me on the head and says, that's okay, Daddy, I love you, and she runs off to play. And I sat on my couch, weeping, weeping with the reality that Jesus had suddenly shown up, and that he was doing something new in my life. That it didn't matter if she got it or not. What mattered was I was getting it. I was getting it. And there's been so many little moments that none of you know about just like that. Where I've made mistakes and I've gone back and so many little, so much digging. And I am a different daddy than I was when my daughter was three. Because you know what's happened? Resurrection has shown up in my little messy life. 
Oh, yeah, man. Did you know that we're just not just going to and carrying our crosses just for the sake of it? Did you know that the on the other side of the cross is the resurrection? Did you know that we're not digging just for digging's sake? Did you know that as we dig, suddenly Jesus shows up with stuff that we couldn't do in and of ourselves? People that we couldn't be without him? Did you know that? Have you ever experienced that? Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. And you are invited to have some. Some of y'all got relationships that you think are busted beyond repair. And I am here to tell you, start digging and watch what Jesus does that he can only do that you thought was never possible. There are ways of living life that you think this is never going to change. This is just my personality. This is who I am. Okay. All right. Start following Jesus. And then then let's talk two years from now. Let's talk like dig in. Oh, yeah, brother. Oh, yeah, sister. Like, let's go. Don't just wait for someone else to be better. Don't just wait for someone else to follow. It's time for us to say. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers, but I'm showing up. I'm showing up at the cross and I'm watching. I'm watching how he died. And I'm letting that motivate me. I got a thousand stories about resurrection showing up in all kinds of ways in my little messy life. Do you? Oh, yeah, man, but you don't know. But you don't know what I've done. But you don't know my family. But you don't know my boss. But you don't know my friends. But you don't know my parents, man. You don't know. You're right. I don't know. But I know what happens next. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. See, they're still in the same mode. They're still digging in with Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, my brothers, Jesus, they haven't even had a chance to apologize to Jesus. And Jesus resurrected. Jesus has already forgiven them. And that's the point. He's calling the ones who betrayed him, left him for dead. My brothers. So no matter what you've done. Or didn't do. Guess what Jesus calls you. The same. Oh but I'm, but I'm the least likely. But I'm the least likely to be used by God. In my family and in my friends and at my work. Brian if I could just get you to meet my boss. Then maybe something cool would happen. If I could just get you to hang out with my friends. That's not what the gospel is y'all. The gospel is. Me, pastoral staff, equipping you to be light and salt in the world. You are there on purpose for a reason. And and even if you feel least likely, this is so great. Jesus says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This go is to the most least likely witness that God could ever pick. A woman in Jesus's day. Did you know that that women in Jesus' day weren't their their witness, their testimony in court wasn't even valid? And guess who God picks on purpose? Guess who God picks to be the first ones to see him and represent him to the rest of the world? The least likely 
of his culture. (laughs) Nobody's left out. Jesus gets it. Jesus gave worth and discipleship authority to women. Jesus got it. The rest of the culture didn't. Rest of the culture assumed that they are the least likelies of that culture. And guess who was chosen to represent the risen Christ to his own disciples? The least likely. Is this not good news for you and for me? I got all my reasons why I'm a least likely. I got all my reasons why, nope, not in my family, nope, not in my friends, nope, not. I got all my reasons lined up and Jesus just keeps destroying them. Just keeps sitting on them like the angel sat on the stone. It's time. Resurrection is this hope and this reality as the worship team comes forward. Is this hope and this reality that There is more to life after death. But it doesn't just stop there. We will see Norma again. She is with Jesus. Her hope is seen today. But Jesus, but Jesus had been showing up in Norma's life with his resurrection well before she saw him in his fullness. That was a good spot for an amen. Amen. And he can do that in your life too. Man, this ain't just fire insurance. This is power now. This is hope now. This is transformation now. This is bits of heaven even now. So we, we're going to take communion today, everybody at once. Well, I don't know if it, well, you get what I'm saying. We're going to come receive a cup and a wafer, each one of us, and then we're going to take those back to our seats. And then after we, after everybody has received, we're going to take them all together. And this, this cup, this, this juice represents Jesus's body on the cross. When he was being the most kingly. When he was being like no other leader that we have ever seen. And the the wafer represents the bread, which represents his body. His body that was shed on that same cross. And we take them and we need the reminders because we so quickly and easily get back to over here. Building on not firm foundation, building on what's in it for me and how does it make me feel. If Jesus asked those two questions, he never would have went to a cross. And so we are remembering and watching him on the cross that he would work those questions out of us. That he would work out of us that selfishness and work into us a love that is sacrificial. A love that is sustainable. A love that survives the storm. Knowing that he will suddenly show up As we lean in, in the most unlikely of places, through the most unlikely of people, because that's who he is. So as our servers come, I'm going to pray. Jesus, thanks for being you. 
as we worship a little and receive your elements, I pray that you would continue to speak. In Jesus' name, amen.